Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Leanne Pooley. Leanne's one of New Zealand's most accomplished documentary filmmakers, having directed over 20 films. In 2011, Leanne's work was recognized by the New Zealand Arts Foundation, and she was made a New Zealand Arts Laureate. In February 2016, Leanne was the recipient of the Women in Film and TV New Zealand Award for Achievement in Film. Her films have screened in more than 100 countries on most of the world's major broadcasters and include topics ranging from rugby to the Pope. Her independent production company is Specific Films. She's received numerous awards for her large body of work, including 25 April, an animated feature about the ill-fated World War I Gallipoli campaign, Beyond the Edge, a 3D feature, Top Twins, Untouchable Girls, which is a theatrical documentary. She's also served as a judge for the International Emmy Awards, has extensive teaching experience, and has published several articles on documentary filmmaking. Welcome, Lynn. Hi, lovely to be here. Glad, So glad to have you. You know, we'd have plenty to talk about if we just talked about your films today, but <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're, we're here to talk about a slightly different subject, which is the experience you've been writing about with having had breast cancer and maybe even more importantly, the experience you've had since finishing treatment that um, that has really led to some impassioned work on your part. So I'm really uh, I'm really happy to have you here to talk about that. It's a, a subject that touches my life in professional yeah, and personal yeah. ways, and I really appreciate you being here. A lot of my group members, in fact, were um, avidly awaiting listening to the subject being talked about. Oh, good. Good. Well, I do think, I mean, I do think it's interesting, you know, there's, there's been movies, there's been documentaries, there's been articles, there's a lot of um, media time has gone to understanding what treatment's like, how hideous chemotherapy is, how scary, you know, going inside the radiation machine feels, all those sorts of things. But I don't think the conversation has, there has been enough conversation around what happens the day it finishes? Because there is this surreal moment, literally, you know, I had my last radiation treatment and they sort of waved me out the door and it was like, that's it, you're done. Um, and, and your brain is sort of going, well, did I have cancer this morning? And now I'm walking out the hospital door, I don't have cancer anymore. And of course, it, it, it's, it's a... It's a sort of strange juxtaposition of emotions whereby you're, you're happy that you're finished treatment and at the same time you feel terrified that you're sort of alone in the world now. And for those of us who have had sort of, um, you know, where our cancer, my cancer was stage three, so it meant that it had spread beyond my breast, um, although thankfully, touch wood, it hadn't metastasized. 
there's sort of a 50% chance that it'll come back. So you're in this strange sort of limbo that, that's pretty, it's, it's tough to get your head around. Yes, I've, I've heard that there's actually been a lot of study and writing about what you're talking about. But somehow that word does not get out. But I've I've heard that particular thing um, coined as the Damocles syndrome. Uh, oh. Damocles is a myth where the 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 mythic character became aware that there was a sword over his neck, and um, it it caused life to be polluted by fear. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and it's, it's something you have to try to f- sort of, you know, the the knife is there, but you try not to stare at it. <laughs> you know, yes, it's quite hard. I talk about the penny in the air, you know, the because for me it's a sort of fifty fifty thing, and you know, I, I sort of say to friends, you know, people are trying to be supportive, but sometimes they say odd things, and you know, you hear a lot from people. Oh well, you know, nobody knows when they're going to die. Which is completely true. Obviously, nobody knows. But I say to them, well, flip a coin, heads you live, tails you die, and try not to watch the coin. You know, that's how uh-huh. it feels when you're, when you're living with that sword hanging over your neck. And, and we have to find ways to not fixate on the coin as it spins. At least that's how I sort of frame that's it. That's how you've life. worked at it. The, the way I, I heard my wife express that when she was living with cancer was everyone knows they'll be hit by the truck, but the truck is so close to me I can see the dents. That's right. Yeah, that's uh, right. So or, there is something totally it, different about having it so <laughs> close, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Or, or the fact that, you know, the, the, I talk about grief, which is, is um, you know, sort of something close to your heart and the notion that uh, you have to let go of the person who didn't see the truck. You have to let go of that person you were before and you grieve for that person. I grieve for the person I was before cancer, the person who wasn't afraid, who didn't, you know, I've become weirdly superstitious, you know, when when people talk about the future, I'm nervous about joining the conversation because I feel like I might jinx it, you know, by assuming Uh. I'll be here in the future. And and so I grieve the person I used to be, which was somebody who didn't feel that, you know, it's it's a... It's a letting Something's go to... of, uh, you know, I think everybody has in their heart a weird sense of immortality. It's like if we're on a plane, if it crashes, we kind of somehow think we might be the one that survives because the it won't happen to me syndrome is so powerful. But once cancer happens, it has happened to you. So you, that whole syndrome, that whole notion that it won't happen to me has been crushed and you have to deal with the, your new reality i'm i'm um thinking of a of a paragraph from one of your articles that i want to share because uh it it really captures the the movement from someone who observes to someone who experiences You said, as a documentary filmmaker, I've spent a fair amount of time in hospitals. Cancer, heart attacks, and various other illnesses have all played starring roles in my films over the years. So when a regular mammogram led to a breast cancer diagnosis, I experienced the surreal feeling that I was in one of my own films. That really captured me in the sense that you 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 were not someone who was avoiding those subjects in your life. 
Um, no, I've no, seen no, your no, I've no. seen your top twins um, movie, and of course that yeah. in that film, one of those twins did experience cancer, and you were obviously part of that. But that's different, entirely different than being in that situation yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And somehow, you know, maybe it's a little bit like the war correspondent who thinks that the bullet somehow is never could never hit them because you do all that somehow you do feel other from it you know you're separate from it so again you have to let go of and, and it's ridiculous i mean i acknowledge the the ego mania that's involved with somehow thinking it was you know, <laughs> somehow you're special and it's not you, it, it won't affect you but i have made a number of films with people who have been uh, desperately ill for various reasons cancer aids uh, I made a, a two films in the UK about heart transplants, and you know, people died. The people I was working with, they died, and um, I was touched and affected and moved by my experience of being with them and next to them and documenting their journey. But until that journey became my own, I now realize I, I had no idea what they were really going through because you can't, you know, you really can't. Yes. But I do wonder if somehow uh, witnessing their experience perhaps did help you in some way. Uh, uh, made, made the territory not known, but slightly more, you'd looked at the map before maybe. I think, I suspect it made me a bigger pain in the butt for my doctors. Um, because I, <laughs> That's I, not I, all bad from my view. <laughs> You know, I was that patient who went in with, you know, armed with research and statistics, and I actually did make them, um, I well, not make them, but I, I entered into a dialogue around one element of my treatment, and, and the dialogue led to them changing the the journey, we, you know, the what we were going to do next. And um, But my oncologist was very patient, very patient with the fact that I was that person who went away and did masses of research. And, and that, I think, is, is the filmmaker in me. You know, when I, when I make a film about somebody else's journey, I would always research, you know, everything I could so that at least I had some, um, I was prepared for what would unfold as it unfolded. So that is also what I did uh, when it when it was unfolding for me, um, I was sort of armed, and, and I was careful about what I read because there's a lot of loony stuff out there. But um, I did I did sort of arm myself with uh, with as much information as I could, which is the opposite. Some people feel that they don't want to know. I, I was the opposite. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to be part of every decision. And in some way, you know, I because I do groups for people living with cancer, uh, I get a chance to observe, observe a lot of different experiences. And it seems to me that it's not what each person chooses, but that it really be a choice. For instance, I had someone I worked with who adamantly, she happened to be a nurse, and she adamantly decided to not read anything because she felt she would make too much of it. And she did really good research about the doctor and chose someone and said, I'm in your hands. And on yeah. the other end is some somebody like you who, who researches everything. And I don't think doing, uh, responding uh, in, a, in a helpful way for yourself depends on which thing you choose. It's oh, whether no, it's right for not. you. Do you think? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think people have to find what what is going to work for them because so much of it is is actually about your own sense of uh, well-being. I mean, 99% of what I read or the research I did uh, reinforced what the doctors were telling me on the whole. So it, for me, that was peace of mind. If, if peace of mind comes from just going, the doctors know what's best, then, then that's what people should do because peace of mind is a big part of coping with what's happening because fear I mean that is the other I mean fear it's, it's fascinating to me how manifested uh, you, how fear can kind of permeate everything you do and um, and for me the fear didn't kick in till I finished treatment and I was kind of out of the medical uh, you know I wasn't sort of seeing my doctors on a weekly or, or um, daily basis at times the fear then became harder to deal with because I didn't have that safety net around me of, of the people who who knew what they were doing. And so finding ways for me to deal with the fear was, uh, and I wasn't a fearful person before. You know, I wasn't sort of, I don't believe I was a hypochondriac or it had any of that kind of, those sort of tendencies. But suddenly, you, you, you know, every time I get a sore back or, a, a, you know, so- something is twinging, I have a headache, it's, it's a, a battle to not let myself believe, oh my God, that's, that's, the cancer's back, I've got a brain tumor. You know, dealing with that fear uh, was much easier when I was seeing my doctor every day. <laughs> it's harder when Absolutely. They're, they're, they're kind of holding you in it. And the other thing I, I uh, came across somewhere in my, in my reading for today is that somehow when treatment was over, you sort of figured it was time to stop talking about things. Uh, to your friends, yeah, even yeah, you know, well, and you worry, uh, you worry that you've bored everyone senseless with the whole thing during the sort of treatment period. You know, my poor family had, you know, heard about all my aches and pains and my nausea and whatever while it was happening, and and they all want it to be over too. It's a nightmare for them as well. So when you get to the end of treatment, you do feel like you should release them from having to listen too much more to to whatever the latest drama is inside your head you know you my anxiety I, I, I felt sort of self-conscious about sharing the anxiety when I when I'd already asked them to share and my family had been so amazing and my friends had been my support network was just mind-blowingly wonderful but you kind of feel like maybe they've had enough too and so there's there's a sort of self-conscious you become self-conscious about sharing the anxiety. And also there's this sort of implied notion um, from people, and, and some people can be a little almost rude about it, where you, you feel judged that you're meant to be very, very grateful to be alive. So just shut up and enjoy every second of life, you know, which yes. you're trying to do. <laughs> yes, well, and, do. I'm, and I'm sure that goes along at the same time. But what I was aware of is how terrible... Uh, high levels of isolation are in grief mm. that that grief wants community it you know it wants solitary too but it wants mm. to be heard by more than just yourself and so then if you're not able to talk about what's most going on in your head uh, I would think it leads to you know, a real sense of being somewhere else other than where everyone else is. 
Well, and it can also lead to depression. I mean, it, it isn't uncommon for cancer patients to experience depression following, following treatment, which is so counterintuitive to the people around you that it's even, that this is sort of, you know, a domino effect that they don't understand, so it makes you feel worse about yourself, your failure, you're not grateful enough because you're experiencing this, this sadness or this anxiety or this fear that seems counterintuitive at the end of, of what you thought was the end of a journey because you thought treatment would be the end. I mean, the thing is, when you're in treatment, or at least for me, and, and I hate, it's, it's, it's dangerous to talk as if, you know, everyone's experience is the same because obviously everyone's experience is different. But for me, I was actually, you're actually so busy being sick. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) I was really poorly at times and and, uh, in and out of hospital and in and out of tests and da-da-da-da-da, that you're so busy dealing with all that. You actually, your your life is quite full of the illness, and so you don't have time to think about it. And I think it's it's telling that during treatment, I didn't seek any uh, counseling support. I didn't go to any, um, you know, I didn't have any therapy while I was in treatment. I didn't join any groups, etc. But following treatment, about a month and a half after treatment, I really felt that I needed I needed some help, and it was at that stage that I sought a little bit of therapy, and I joined a support group. And that, that's very that. common. Yeah, uh, it's about time for our break, and when we get back, I want to continue talking about that. But also, kind of, there are particular things that people typically say, well-meaning, uh, well-intentioned people that 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 don't that don't help. And so I want to get into that with you when we come back, too. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page, at Voice America, for Facebook, Twitter, etc. And you can find Leanne Pulley at www.spacific.co.nz. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Leanne Pulley, an acclaimed filmmaker who, after experiencing a cancer diagnosis and treatment, has been speaking out about the experience of life after cancer and also life during treatment, just kind of exposing the whole experience. Yes, Leanne? Hi. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a club. What you find is you're a member of a pretty big club, sadly, that that there's a lot of people who who um, identify with what you're going through, and, and that that's empowering too, actually, to know that you're not crazy. You're not the only one who felt terrified the last day of treatment. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> yes, it's it's actually uh, almost a rule of the people that I get exposed to. These are people that are, you know, paying attention to their experience because they're choosing support groups and and such so they have a reflective gear but um it's just almost a hundred percent uh and and always shocking which makes me wonder why the medical community community is not more proactive about really emphasizing you're probably going to uh go into some difficult stuff now that you're done with treatment Um, yeah, yeah. It it sometimes gets an offhand remark, but it rarely gets a lot of attention. And there's kind well, of there's a, a sense of, of things. It is a lot of things actually be, that that fall into that too. Because I think what happens is your doctor, because they don't see you so much anymore, they're not they're not even. Pre- I mean, I asked my oncologist if he ever looks at the forums because. You know, there's there's various forums, online forums you can go to, which occasionally I do go to if I'm looking for, I don't know, um, a, a bit of reassurance that what I'm feeling isn't unusual. And I think doctors should visit those forums every once in a while just so that they get an insight into the patient's experience in the world. Absolutely. There was uh, when my wife was ill, which is she died in 95. So that's a ways back. There was a doctor's uh, a, a movie sometime during that period where she was ill, which was about eight and a half years post diagnosis. So I don't remember when it fell in that, but it was called Doctor and it was about a doctor who got cancer himself. And it right. was really, it was so meaningful to watch him grapple with the same things everybody does. And I think the end of the movie, he he set out a program for physicians to understand the experience better, where they had to dispense with their clothes, put on a um, hospital gown, get in bed and stay there kind of thing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he, but... Um, I think that there is a lack of connection, isn't there, between, uh, you know, doctors want to encourage, they want to give hope, but it's not actually encouraging of hope if you don't have the information. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think too, there's just a massive uh, range of uh, doctors, you know, like like in any profession. You know, I had, 
I thought my oncologist was amazing. He was sensitive and uh, and very patient with with me, and you know, never made me feel um, an idiot, which he might have done, because I'm sure that uh, you know, when I went in armed with my list of questions and things, he must have internally had a little eye roll. But he, he was amazing. But the nature of the public system is in New Zealand is that I didn't always get to see him. He oversaw a number of younger doctors, and uh, we have a. a we have a very different healthcare system to yours, and uh, I, I was in the public system. So sometimes I didn't see him, and I saw a range of doctors, and the, there was a massive difference in the way uh, many of those doctors, especially the young ones, uh, related to me. And indeed, I've written to the medical school, and they're going to have me come and chat to their young doctors next year just, just to have a little conversation around some of the, it's, I'm calling it the, the 10 dumbest things doctors said to me. And, you know, much of it was, it came from a place of just not getting it. And whether, whether talking to them will make any difference or not, it's hard to know. But I just thought I needed to. Do you, do you have some of those ahead. top, do you have some of those top 10 uh, uppermost in your well, mind? Let's... Like, um, there were things like I saw, I went in for a surgical, so I had, I had surgery, then I had chemotherapy, then I had radiotherapy, and I went in for a surgical checkup, and I saw a junior, or, you know, a, a registrar, what we call a registrar surgeon, I don't know what that's called in America, but anyway, a, a young surgeon, rather than my own surgeon. and An intern, maybe, we might call that here. Well, although I think interns are before they're specializing, but anyway, anyway, he, he, I was seeing him for a checkup. So all he was doing is checking the surgical wounds around my what had been my breast, and um, but I, I had started chemo, and I had the three days before that checkup, I'd had my second round of chemo, so I was feeling pretty terrible. And and uh, you know, I sat down, and as they always do, he said, "So how are we?" And I said, "Oh well, I feel pretty." crap, if I'm honest. Um, I had chemo two days ago, so I'm feeling really lousy. And he went, oh, yes, well, you know, not everyone gets through chemo. <laughs> oh. And, I just thought, and he, he didn't mean, if I, to, to, to give him the benefit of the doubt, he didn't mean I was going to die, but he meant that some people drop out because it's so unpleasant. And, and I right. just looked don't at get him and said, I've got, two, I've, I've got two kids. I don't have a choice but to get through chemo. You know, but he just spoke without thinking, you know, just just didn't, there was no engagement between my experience and what came out of his mouth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was bizarre. Then I had a young doctor, it was funny, he was a, a, a lovely young doctor who, we get a lot of doctors from um, various parts of the world who might come and do a, a stint working in the hospital system in New Zealand, and I did have a young doctor from uh, uh, Zimbabwe who um, he was lovely, but he could not bring himself to say the word vagina. <laughs> he, we were talking about the fact that I was suffering from thrush in my mouth, which is a common side effect of chemotherapy, and he wanted to know if I had thrush in, as he put it, down there, and he just sort of waved his hands about, and I, <laughs> I said to him, you're going to have to learn to use the word vagina, my friend. <laughs> you know? So just... Just things that, oh, uh, to be honest, that actually made me laugh on the day. But there's just a sometimes. But it's not really. Between. It's actually not funny because then how do no, you feel confident in <laughs> in how he's going to, if if his sensitivity might cause him to not uh, 
address forthrightly something that could be risky to you, that's no, exactly. that's a true danger, isn't it? Exactly, and that that may have been partly cultural, and it and he was a young man, and you know I'm a sort of middle aged frightening woman, but um, there's a there's a thing too that I think. One of the things I found most difficult, especially when I was on the ward, was the generic nature of the cancer patients. You know, you'd look around the oncology ward and we were all, most of us were, uh, you know, probably of an age. You know, I wasn't on the pediatric. Pediatric ward, so I was mainly with people who seemingly were were in their fifties or older. A number of older people on the ward. We were all skinny and bald and pale, and I actually lost all my fingernails as well. So I was kind of fingernailless, and you kind of feel generic, like you all mm, look the same, yes. and somehow that makes you less human. And you kind of, I felt like I wanted to have a a photograph of the real me, you know, sort of pinned to my shirt, so that when the the young um, uh, students came, did their rounds. The medical students they didn't see this this sort of skeletal, you know, skeletal bald woman who wasn't me, you know. And and you feel yes. like a generic creature, and that's quite that's quite hard to get your head around. And it's hard for them, I think, to see past. You know that that connects with something I've heard several people say, which is when I meet a new. A healthcare provider, I tell them at least two or three personal things about myself in the first meeting. Mm-hmm. It's that same That's phenomenon right. of feeling you're going to be, you're at risk of being dehumanized and oh, you, uh, made you, you into are, yeah. kind of a body and not a, a whole person um, that people are trying to address in some way. And that was another example of the, you know, the top 10 dumb things doctor said was um, when I got my pathology after my surgery, the, the cancer had spread to 10 of my lymph nodes, which was pretty, because I'm the person I am, I'd done quite a lot of reading. I knew the significance of having 10 positive lymph nodes. That was a scary number, a really scary number. That put me at stage three where I thought maybe I was at stage two. And um, I knew instantly that, that this was very bad news. From you know potentially for yes. my prognosis, and that I was now going to have to deal with tests to find out if if there was um, metastatic breast cancer, you know, if it had spread. And I looked at him when he gave, and he just sort of read this off a list, you know, of these are the results, blah blah blah. And this is the this is a young doctor, not my doctor. Again, this is um, uh, a younger guy, and he. And I said, I sort of stopped him at the ten lymph node moment and said, uh, Wow, well. That's that's a lot of lymph nodes, and he went. Yes, we were we were surprised about that, and then just kept going. <laughs> and that was uh. apparent that I needed to talk about this moment. And then when I said to him, "Well, when do I find out if there's metastasis?" and he went, "Oh, I've got no idea." Which I just thought to myself, "No, no, 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 no. You don't get mm. to say that." And actually, at that moment, I sacked him. If we're honest, I just said to him, "Well, look, then you're going to go get me the consultant." Because if you don't know the answer to my question, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> well, good for you. Says, and isn't that hard to do says, when you, when someone yeah. has your life in the palm of their hands? To be assertive, you have to really have that capacity to be assertive in that situation, right? <laughs> you know. And he was pretty taken aback. To be fair, he um, he got a bit grumpy and, and went, "Oh well, the consultant's very busy. He'd be at least an hour." And I just said, "You know what? I've got an hour." <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
an hour, I'll give you an hour. And as it turned out, the consultant was there within 10 minutes and was lovely and reassuring and, you know, said this does not mean you're going to die next week sort of thing, you know. So, but this young doctor hadn't thought to himself that I understood what what the information would was that he was giving me. And, and that's, I know it's a balance because not every patient comes in knowing, but he needed to be prepared for my questions and he wasn't. You know that uh, I've I've told this story before on the air, but it's such an important story to me. When my my mother had pancreatic cancer, uh, she died of it. But the first time we went to see the doctor she worked with, um, the doctor said to her, "What kind of a patient are you? Are you the type of person who wants to have all the information to make?" a decision or are you you the type of person who would like to just have me decide and tell you what we're going to do that was the most mm. brilliant question and so simple and then yeah, she put it exactly. she put a note at the top of my mother's chart so that every time she came in for an appointment she didn't have to remember that and it really showed in the way that she conducted herself throughout that time yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that sensible, she knew. common sense. Right? So um, yep. this person was that you're talking about was just acting as if everyone's the same and I'll just do my thing and n- there won't be a great deal of question or, uh, you know, I, I won't really have to meet this person. That's the implication that's I right. get. From that's that. right, yeah. Well, he was, he was also, he was, it's interesting too, and I don't want to insult any of your listeners who might be surgeons, but um, he was a surgical registrar, and it's interesting, I, I had a chat with my oncologist about it, and uh, surgical, surgeons can be a little bit different, a little bit cold, because generally they're dealing with patients who are, who are, when they're doing their real work, unconscious. And that my oncologist said to me, you know, it takes a certain personality to be able to take a knife and cut into someone. <laughs> and maybe the personality that cuts into you isn't always, and this is obviously just, you know, there's lots and lots of exceptions, but the person who has the confidence to cut you open isn't necessarily the most empathetic when you're speaking to them. Yes, and I've had some uh, some exposure to uh, the Canadian at least the the cancer center in Toronto. I I won't exaggerate because I don't know about the Canadian system. Yeah. But they had a team that included for each person with cancer a team that included surgeon, oncologist, radiologist, therapist, psychiatrist, um, and. You know, I'm sure people made use of different aspects of that team depending on their own uh, leanings. But, but mm. boy, wouldn't that be something yeah, to yeah, to actually yeah, yeah. have an assumption from the start that you were going to need all those all those disciplines, all that support and for them to all be on the same page as well would be pretty yes. Special. And for the, I I know that the uh, the therapists on those teams. We're doing a lot of bringing the the human into, you know, because they'd have case consults on all the cases on the floor, and they'd bring the human aspect of what was happening into the room. And um, because you are a human, you know, you, you and 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 you know, one of the things I think that kept me going all through treatment was that I I was working, I was making a film, and um, I was very lucky because the film I was, uh, if, if luck's the right word to use, 
in the middle of a cancer thing. But um, the film I was well, making was what's a, lucky gets to be lucky <laughs> in the midst exactly of what right. isn't lucky, right? <laughs> That's right, that's objective. Well, I happened to be making, for the first time in my life, I was directing an animated movie. And animation is glacially slow. And so, and I was so lucky because at the point I was diagnosed, we had just gone into full animation, which means they don't need me as the overall director. Not the, I'm not an animator myself. I'm a, I'm a director who was overseeing the animation. They don't need me there every day because it happens very slowly. They only needed me about two hours every second day and that two hours was the best two hours of my day because for that two hours which was all the energy I had really I, I, I wouldn't have coped with too much more in the in the midst of it all but for that two hours I was me you know I was a filmmaker they wanted my decision on on what was happening with the animation was the sequence working was the was the color right was you know all those sorts of things and that as a functioning you know that kept me in touch with who I was as a as a person, and I think it's easy for cancer patients to lose track of who they are, and it's important to find ways. You know, your family, your children, they all keep you grounded in in the real world, and it's really important to stay stay who you are as much as you can, while accepting the change that's occurring. You know the thing is that's that such an sense. important uh, an important aspect because uh, I'm thinking of a lot of people that uh, are in my groups and such who could work a little bit, but their their work won't accommodate the little bit, and so they're bereft of their work at a time when it could help. But um, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, I I think it saved you know was saved me from insanity to be frank I mean just that's what I mean by so lucky that I was because if I'd been making uh, you know any number of my previous projects you know, the one I made before that involved me filming on top of a mountain for five weeks you know obviously they would have had to <laughs> that wouldn't have worked would it <laughs> wouldn't have Let's... worked so it, it was really wonderful and my team was just incredible occasionally I had to go into the studio into the animation studio you know they set up a, a little room for me where I could go and lie down if I had to wait for something to happen they'd you know I'd go lie down while they outputted something for me to look at they were sending me clips on my computer so I could check things while I was in the hospital and while they were nervous sometimes about doing that I would say no 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 don't be nervous it's wonderful it's, <laughs> it's wonderful good. for me to get a, a clip while I'm in in hospital because for those 20 minutes where I'm looking at that clip and sending you my feedback I'm me again you know yes. I'm not that generic bald woman <laughs> Absolutely. Let's 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 finish that off when we come back from the break, and then I I do want to talk about um, the physical aspects of after treatment and where you are now with the whole experience. So let's talk about all that when we come back. And you can find me, listeners, at weatheringgrief.com. You can find Leanne Pooley at www.specific.co.nz, and we'll be back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Leanne Pulley, a documentary filmmaker, and we've been talking about her experience of breast cancer and most particularly post-treatment and what has um, caught her attention in that experience. And um, I want to put some texture to the after cancer experience because uh, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a particular person who was in one of my groups. She was a couple of years. She actually got uh, a no evidence of disease two-year mark while she was in the group. And she kept feeling as if she didn't belong because other people were in treatment or very, very out of treatment a very short time and she kept feeling like oh I'm not sure if I belong here but I feel like I need it you know and then one one night she just started saying everything that was different in her body and everything she was still dealing with a couple of years later and it was so moving to me that she finally was able to share what her actual experience was of being that far out of treatment, you know, um, I've I've heard people talk about that, you know, seven years out. That that you're. Oh no! I, I mean, honestly, some of the changes are permanent. I mean, there's permanent changes have occurred too, and especially, I mean, the women who've gone through breast cancer, many of them will be on drugs that have significant that may save their lives or or or, or extend their lives, but also have really difficult side effects. You know, I'm on a drug called, uh, which is an aromatose inhibitor. There's, lots of people will have heard of tamoxifen, which is a, if you have a estrogen positive cancer, these are drugs that block estrogen in your body, the production of estrogen. And I'm on a thing called an aromatose inhibitor, which is kind of the new, the new tamoxifen. And I will be on it for a minimum of five years and as many as 10 years. And the side effects are significant and have an impact on my life. You know, they, 
I have a degree of chronic pain in my joints, which is a direct result of the um, of the drug, and it's co- it's a common result, uh, a side effect. I think something like thirty percent of women who take this drug come off it because they find the side effects too tough to deal with, you know, too horrible and not yes. worth it. So, you know, lot, if you know women who um, have had breast cancer and they're on aromatose inhibitors, you can assume they're dealing with the side effect of that drug. And it's not easy. And it's another thing that you don't like to whinge, whinge that's a very New Zealand word, you don't like to complain too much about because, again, you're meant to be grateful. <laughs> grateful yeah. you're alive. And, but those you know, only for the parts it. you're actually grateful for, though. It would yeah, be crazy right. to be grateful, grateful for, for that. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And and you know, the, there's there's physical changes. You know, they they cut bits out of me. I have lymphedema, which again is a common side effect. Uh, lymphedema being. Um, you know, they removed my the lymph nodes under my left arm, and lymph nodes have a job to do. Lymph nodes move fluid around, so now I have to manage the fact that I get fluid build up in my arm and in my um, sort of near my left where the scar tissue around my left breast was is, and you know that, that's something I have to manage, and that's something that at the moment there's no cure or. Um, likelihood of it going away that's something I have to imagine the, the lymph nodes aren't going to regrow <laughs> they're not coming back yes so yes. lymphedema is forever and I'm also aware yeah. I, I have one one client who uh, one of her greatest joys in life is traveling and she's actually afraid to travel at the moment because there's a correlation between lymphedema and, and air air travel um, Absolutely. sometimes the, the air travel makes it worse <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. When I, yeah. I do a lot of traveling, so I wear a, a special sleeve when I fly to try and, um, you know, to, to try and keep the lymphedema at bay. But it's definitely an issue when I fly. And when you live in New Zealand, you're always on a plane that's in, in uh-huh. the air for quite a long time. <laughs> it, it really is an island, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nowhere's yeah. close. And also, didn't you mention to me that you were doing some kind of uh, – air treatment for yes, <laughs> post-radiation? Yeah, I'm doing a thing, and this is kind of a newish, a newish thing. Um, it's called hyperbaric oxygen treatment, and I, at the moment, in fact, in 45 minutes' time, when I get off the phone from you, I will be in a, a um, hyperbaric oxygen tank breathing oxygen for two hours and this isn't some sort of a crazy thing. I think it must have a a reasonable scientific um, uh, weight behind it because the New Zealand healthcare system, government healthcare system is paying for it and they don't like to pay for anything that isn't proven in some way but the the theory is that the oxygen will help the I have it I have some chronic pain uh, around the scar tissue in my breast and arm and uh, the nerve damage that was done by the radiation this is a side effect of the radiation and there's evidence that this hyperbaric oxygen treatment can help with the mending of that scar tissue so, yeah, but that's only that's not yeah. forever. I'm doing uh, eight weeks of that, and I'm I've only got a week and a half to go. Well, <laughs> the, it's one the, of the point, few treatments the, that doesn't the, have negative side effects. It's, it's, there's nothing. It's slightly tedious to sit in this tank for two hours, but it, it doesn't do me any, you know it, it doesn't do me any harm. There's no negative side effects. 
the point being for me, though, for people who are supporting people who've had cancer, for for them to be the ones to bear in mind that it's a continuing focus of attention in a person's life, that you've That's been odd. changed by it. In in I you know I I hope we can move in a minute to kind of some of the things that come out of it that are more positive because there are those for a lot of people and I think for you given that I've yeah. I've read some things you've written but that this sense of having to deal with your body differently and live with a different body are pretty universal and yeah. that and someone could actually invite a conversation about that so you're not feeling like you're messing a good time and, you know, sometimes people are a little insens- insensitive to it because they don't understand. You know, I, I've spent time with friends who I, I gave up drinking during treatment. I don't drink alcohol anymore. That There is a relationship between alcohol and breast cancer. So I've just chosen not to drink, you know. And, yeah, people kind of feel like I'm, just, I'm letting the side down if you go out with a group of friends and you don't have a glass of wine. And, you know, just little things like that where you, you sense their disappointment. I can't. I still get tired a little bit and, I, and my joints hurt so I can't always keep up, you know. And sometimes you feel the judgment of people who feel like, come on, just get over it. I mean, I got an email when I published, when the last thing I wrote was published, I got an email from a woman who said that her best friend looked at her on her last day of radiation and said, that's it then, no more tears. And, you know, that just, that, that's, a, that's pressure and judgment that, that the, the cancer person doesn't, Need And I have to be honest, I don't use the word survivor because that freaks me out. So, you know, there's all those things. You're navigating this new, this new path. And sometimes people just have to be conscious that you aren't the same person you were before. And that's not necessarily a terrible thing. Well, let's talk about that. Um, because uh, you did in your articles talk somewhat about that, that I, I guess to bottom line it, um, I felt as if the 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 thing that got said to you that has been has been true for you is um, life being appreciating life, life being more precious. Can you talk about how that shows itself now, some ways out? Um, while on the one hand dealing with all these you know things you now must, and then there's that other side. Sure. I mean, you know, it, it, no one, I would never say that I'm glad I got cancer ever, but but I'm glad that I realize that yeah, it's, it's, I, I always worry because it sounds so cliche to say that, you know, you, you do establish some priorities and there's no question that, that some of the little stuff that maybe wound me up before doesn't wind me up as much because I, I kind of say to myself, well, you know, it's not cancer. I definitely find, um, I hope that I'm slightly more patient with my own children because, and this might sound crazy, but I'm conscious of the fact that I don't want to be the screaming mother in case I, I'm not around in 10 years time. I don't want them to, 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 to remember the mother who screamed at them all the time. Do you know what I mean? I, I yes. Sort of so it's kind of, it kind of keeps your focus there. It, it, right. it heightens your focus <laughs> on who you want to be. That's right. What your legacy is in the minds of the people who love you, and I don't want that legacy to be that maybe some of the things that I wasn't so good at before. You know, I'm not the most patient human in the world, which that poor young doctor discovered. And 
Um, so I, I think maybe I can f- I find a little bit of patience in myself um, because also you learn patience when you're going through treatment. You spend a lot of time waiting. You're waiting in corridors. You're waiting for doctors. You're waiting for test results. You know, you're waiting to be finished whatever it is they're doing to you at the time. So I have, I'm sure I've learned a little bit of patience and I did actually mm-hmm. take up meditation um, while I was going through treatment, uh, which I think helps as well. So, you know, I think that's positive and there's no question that, you know, I, I, am, I have a consciousness about my own mortality now. I know that it's not a given that I'll be here in 20 years. So I you know, even little things, you know, I see a film that I love and I think to myself, gosh, I'm glad I've seen that film. Mm, <laughs> you know? yes. I'm really glad I saw that. I'm really glad I had that, that two hours. And I'm less interested. I was a bit of a stress junkie without question. I actually got off on stress, which I now believe is one of the reasons I got cancer in the first place. Um, I'm definitely, definitely conscious of not letting myself turn myself into knots over what some critic says about my film or, um, you know, the, the things that I can't control. I, tr- I don't, I, I really do believe I was addicted to stress and I've let that go because stress is bad. We know that for sure. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, isn't it interesting? We don't necessarily come to give up that, that uh, phenomenon, you know, that impulse towards stress because, because it doesn't feel good. But when we see that it's threatening something, it really gets your attention much more. Yes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as a mother, the thing, the absolute thing at the forefront of my mind through, from, from the very first day that I was called back because my mammogram had, had shown something um, scary is all about trying to be there. You know, the notion of not being there for your kids is so overwhelming, is so kind of in every in every moment of the process, my kids were sort of at the forefront of my mind, and I can get quite emotional actually talking about it. So I have to keep myself in check. But the you know you realize that whatever it was you were stressing yourself out over just cannot be as important. As, and and I'm conscious part of it. You have to be careful because I, I worry that you know you you have this thing where you're if you let yourself get stressed, you think, oh no, I'm killing myself. You know, that, no, we don't want to go with that. Just you don't have an attention in the other stressed. direction. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's such a good place to send us off into the future. And I have this sense that you're going to do something with this even more than what you've currently done. So I hope you'll keep me updated about that. Um, I feel as if the top twins, you know, they kind of had the yay it's done ending to that film and what yeah. we've talked about today is from there forward so please keep me in touch with what you do next and I want to thank you for being here um, and listeners you, you can get Leanne Pooley uh, get in touch with her at specific.co.nz next week I'll have Devia Parekh She's the author of The Voyage to Your Vision, and she found her way through her own struggles, uh, particularly physical struggles, and created a method to help others find their way through as well. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.